All right, Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to be. Acts chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles provided in the seats there. And uh, if you don't have a Bible at home collecting dust, take this one home. And uh, it's our gift uh, for you. And so we'd be really glad for you to have that. Acts chapter 16, we're going to land there uh, in a few moments. Last weekend, we finished a summer-long look at the parables of Jesus. Had a lot of fun going through that kind of each week hitting a different topic and a different parable of Christ. Uh, This weekend, Labor Day weekend for us, uh, historically kind of serves as a a reset button for many people with school starting back up, with uh, the summer kind of ending and entering into the fall. And so what I want to do is I want to just take the morning uh, to begin to reset a little bit by looking at Acts chapter 16 and looking at uh, the birth of a church. I want to look at the birth of the church at Philippi. You fast forward... Um, into the first chapter of Philippians, 10 years later, Philippians chapter 1, and you hear Paul writing back to this church that we're going to begin to see birth this morning, and it is just an incredible, beautiful, healthy church. And so I want us to look at the birth of this church this morning here in Acts chapter 16. And so this week and next week, we're going to do this so that we can really get our, our lives reset and refocused, recalibrated on the mission of Jesus, which is what we're all about here. We want to be about the mission of Jesus. And so as I walk through this chapter, uh, I I just pray that God will jog our hearts, our minds, our memories uh, to how we might uh, individually and collectively, corporately, uh, really live our lives on the mission of Jesus. And what is the mission of Jesus? I wonder if we went around the room and said, what's the mission of Jesus? What's the mission of Jesus? What's the mission of Jesus? What would you say? It might come out differently, but ultimately Jesus says, Luke 19.10, I came to seek and to save the lost. That he is God who came to earth on a mission to rescue the lost. And he's called us to this mission as well. Matthew chapter 28. Uh, you know the, the great commission, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, uh, where, where the Lord says, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's our great commission. That's the mission, to go and to make disciples of all nations and to baptize them and to teach them to follow the Lord. We don't do it alone. We do it with Christ. And so today, as we focus in on this, we're going to just follow the birth of the church at Philippi and, and see how the Apostle Paul and his team live out the mission of Jesus and apply these principles to our lives. And so we'll do this this week and next week. Never forget, uh, three years ago, sitting in a house in central Massachusetts with some friends, and we were uh, just really praying that God would raise up a a church for the city of Boston. And I remember we were sitting in this house together, and we were just looking at this chapter and dreaming up together uh, what that might look like. I remember Ryan and Krista were in the room with us, uh, Sendel, Our ministry assistant was in the room with us, and we were just looking at the scripture and saying, God, would you do this? What would this look like if if this happened in Boston? And now, here we are, and historically, in the past three years, this has served as a guide for us to birth a church. And uh, here's the the danger, though. For for many churches, what can happen, and maybe you've seen this, they're, they're birthed, and they're young, and they're growing, but then they get to this desirable size and they start to focus inward and they start to we got to manage our people rather than continuing uh, to seek and to save the lost and and many of them will shepherd very well but do so uh, to the neglect of seeking and saving the lost and we need to be about both we looked this summer at the parable of the the lost sheep and how the shepherd had a flock he had 99 people to care for sheep to care for but he goes after 
the one lost sheep to seek and to save. And we want to do that. We want to be that way. He has built his church here in the western neighborhoods of Boston. But we want to continue to see him build the church. We've seen many people come to faith in Jesus, but we want to continue to see that. And we're going to do so by just continuing to press in the scriptures and say, how can we be on mission the way you've intended us to be on mission? So let's look at Acts chapter 16, this model together, keep us focused and propel us to the mission connecting Boston and beyond to Christ. Uh, We're going to get into the narrative here. The first uh, 10 verses will kind of set up the story. And then verse 11 through the end of the chapter, really the the bulk and the heart of the story. And so uh, this week, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10, and we'll call that the pregnancy. And then verses 11 through the end, we'll call that the, the labor. And so we'll set up the birth by looking at uh, the, the pregnancy, uh, verses 1 through 10, the, the preparation for some God-sized work. Now, I know we've, we have some mamas in the room here, and uh, those nine months pregnancy are some serious business. You can say amen to that, ladies. Amen. Preach it, right? Some serious business. Being nauseous for, for three months straight, preparing your home for the arrival of, of baby, uh, discomfort and sleeping up and down to the bathroom all night long because you just have a you don't have room for it to, to sit there. You're praying for your child. You're, you're singing for your child. You're scouring Craigslist for all your necessary baby items. And, and that's very, very important part of uh, parenting. And it's not like the work just begins at labor. It begins those nine months prior. And, and similarly for uh, the Apostle Paul and his team, they're preparing for what God has in store. They're preparing for uh, what's going to come ahead here, the birth of the church at at Philippi, but there's work, there's, there's preparation to be done, and that is very much a part of the process. And so what I want to see is I want to see the, the, the birth of the church of Philippi and see the preparation as a huge part of the work, verses 1 through 10. Uh, some of you in this room, because we're in Boston, because we're in a, a very transient kind of city, some of you in this room see this season as just preparation for where I'm ultimately trying to end up. This is just a period, this is just a season that I'm here, I'm, I'm trying to go here. Maybe it's because you're a college student, or a grad student, or a doctoral student, or a postdoc student, or you're doing some kind of training here, and you see this as, this is just preparation for where I'm, I'm going to, to be, and I want you to know that this has to be a part of the mission, a part of the work in your mind. God intends for that to be the case. Also, I think uh, many of us can say, well, when I get married and I'm really, we're, we're ready, we're equipped, we've got the whole package, or when I have family and kids and I settle down, then we'll get going. And I want you to know, no, God sees this preparation season as very important, and this season is very, very formative for uh, the rest of your life. And so let's really just see this season as a time to engage in the mission and, and see it as vital, 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 vital. Some of us might even think, well, when I have more time on my hands. Listen, I promise you, you will never have more time on your hands. If you think it's just going to start, time just magically appears. No, we, we make time in our lives. And so, well, when work loosens up, lightens up a little bit, then, then no. This is a huge part of uh, the mission, you doing what God has you to do right now, this season. Otherwise, we kind of become like a pregnant woman who's still drinking and riding roller coasters. You know, it's just kind of like, ah, oh, this season's not a big deal right now. Now, engage in the mission, and this is a huge part, whether it's preparation for what's to come. Either way, you're still living the mission of Jesus. All right, let's get into the text, verses 1 through 5. Look at the Apostle Paul's ministry practice, and I'm excited. It's just kind of a family deal this morning, so let's 
just walk through it. Verses 1 through 5. Here's what it says. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. The disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them uh, for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in numbers daily. Okay. So here's our first one today that I want to focus in on from these first few verses. And we're going to call these mission musts. And they'll start this week and they'll continue on into next week. And and the first mission must is is this, disciple making. It's it's a mission must. We must be about disciple making. So the previous chapter, the end of chapter 15, uh, Paul and Silas kind of began this new ministry journey together. And here in the beginning of chapter 16 where a lot of crazy things are going to happen as we'll see next week. Uh, we see Paul taking on young Timothy as his disciple. And you know that we too were called to make disciples, as we read earlier, of all nations. And so in a broad sense, all Christians are disciples of Jesus. But in a more focused, specific uh, kind of sense, a disciple is a person who is taught hands-on by the Lord. And here we learn that Paul, uh, he gets to Derby and to Lystra, and he meets this young guy named Timothy. We know from other scriptures that he was... He was a younger man. Later in, uh, in, in his letter to Timothy, his second one, Second Timothy, uh, it shows us that Timothy likely came to faith by the influence of his uh, grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, who probably came to faith through the previous ministry trip of, of Paul. We kind of see the, the faith-shaping influence uh, of a family here. But now, Paul shows up a second time around, and he shows interest in their uh, grandson and son, Timothy, and he wants to really invest his life in this guy, Timothy. And he proposes that Timothy come with him, that he bring him along with him. And so what he does is he has him circumcised. And uh, let me just say that. I know that seems kind of odd. Why would he do that? In fact, looking at the, the previous couple of chapters, um, you know, didn't they, didn't they kind of decide that that wasn't necessary any longer? We're free. We're bound no longer to the, the Mosaic law. We're bound to the law of Christ. Yes. But Paul wanted to do everything in his power not to be a hinder, hindrance to the ministry that he has to the Jewish people. And so though they weren't bound to the law, he decided to have him circumcised because there was going to be ministry to Jews in various places that they go. And so he has him circumcised. And then as we go through the remainder of this story, Acts chapter 16, I want you to think with me uh, and just picture with me young Timothy walking alongside of Paul. A lot of times we'll hear stories of Paul doing all these amazing things with the power of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't say, and Timothy was right there with him. But remember, Timothy's right here with him. Uh, And eventually in uh, 1 Timothy, we see that Paul leaves Timothy behind in Ephesus. And so all of this work that we're going to see in this chapter uh, is going to be utilized in Ephesus. And uh, we we need to really kind of begin to say, okay, I see what Paul's doing here, but what does that look like in my life? Is that something that is actually happening in your life under the example of the, of the Apostle Paul, but ultimately under the example of Jesus? In Mark chapter uh, three fourteen, uh, scriptures will tell us that Jesus appointed 12 so that they might be with him and he could send them out to preach. And here's the deal. A lot of us Christians tend to overcomplicate discipleship. We say, oh man, discipleship's a huge deal in the church. Let's 
let's figure out how to do it. And we, we kind of overcomplicate it because we overcomplicate it and make it such a big deal that we just ultimately never make disciples. And we kind of picture, okay, it's got to be this elaborate church program with all these different angles that just pumps out disciple, disciple, disciple. No, it's a slow but simple practice of just being with younger believers, either younger by age or younger by faith experience and just being with them and investing your life in them and and caring for them and teaching them and showing them how to walk with the Lord. And so this is a really strong example that we have here. Paul uh, is is doing his ministry as we're going to see it throughout the rest of this chapter. And Timothy is doing what? Look down at verse 3. Timothy is, it says, accompanying him. So Paul's doing his ministry and Timothy's accompanying him. Nothing wrong with sitting down at Starbucks, but I think that's what we picture. Okay, discipleship is me sitting at Starbucks across from somebody with my Bible open once a week, and that's discipleship. Well, in part, but it doesn't have to be. It can be just bringing someone along with you and investing your life with them regularly the way Paul does with Timothy, and Timothy is just accompanying him. I love Paul's deathbed letter, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2, he says this. He says to Timothy, he says, hey, Timothy, this is later on. He says, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of all the other people that were there. In other words, Timothy is probably sitting on the front row. Paul's doing his ministry. He's preaching. He says, Timothy, the things that you heard from me in the presence of all these many witnesses, I want you now to come up front and entrust these to others who will teach others also. So he's basically saying this. He's saying, Walk closely with me, and then I want you to do this. I want you to believe what I believe. I want you to do what I do, and I want you to say what I say. That's discipleship. Have somebody close who can then turn around, and believe what you believe, do what you do, and you can say what you say. So we all need to start to ask ourselves, do I, do I have somebody like this in my life? Do I have, have I had a moment where I, like the Apostle Paul, said, hey, I want to invest my life in you. Rather than just, ah, just kind of, I don't know, we kind of hang out every now and again. We're not talking about having wings. We're talking about, um, maybe you do have wings, but it's, I want to pour my life into you. The way Paul says, Timothy, I want you to come with me. And if you don't, you want to get on that. Action item right there. Get on that. Pray for God to show you somebody that you can begin to invest your life in. Maybe it's pray for somebody that you and your spouse, if you're married, can invest your life in together. And let's, let's begin to do that and see if they might be interested in discipleship and begin to pour into them. Maybe you're saying, I'd like to do that, but I just don't know who I would approach. On the back of your connection card, write, I'm interested in discipleship. Do that today, now. And drop it in the basket at the end of the gathering. We're going to try to hook you up. But we really want to be a church that's about disciple-making because that's what God calls us to be. Every single one of us are called go make disciples. Excuses out the window. Let's, let's do it. Imagine with me this time next year, reset button again. We're thinking on a summer, we're thinking on a year, and we're getting ready for the new year. Imagine with me if over the course of this year, all of us, 50% of us, you know, let's just say 50% of us did this. And then said, like Paul said to Timothy, I want you to entrust this to somebody else who will do it to somebody else. How incredible would that be? How much health would be birthed out of that? Disciple making is a mission must. And that's where Paul starts this whole thing. I'm going to go do some ministry. I've got a big ministry plan in front of me. 
but I'm going to bring somebody alongside of me so that while I'm doing ministry, they're observing and learning and, and engaging in it as well. And so they go from city to city to city, and Timothy is practicing, listening, growing, and becoming the man that God wants him to be until First Timothy, Paul says, I left you at Ephesus. I'd love to be able to do that. That's why Jesus says, he points 12, so that he might send them out so that he could leave them at Ephesus or send them out to do the work. And so that's what we want to be. The mission must disciple making. Now, they hit up some more cities. Let's keep going. Verses 6 through 10. Check this out. And they went through the region of Phrygia and, and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. All right. Love this. Here's the next mission must for us. Spirit-led. It's a big element we like to leave out because we're, especially us guys, we're doers, right? Man on a mission. Let's go do this. Hold up. Spirit-led. Spirit-led. So Paul and Silas and Timothy and others, we'll touch on this next week, are traveling from city to city to, to city. They're, they're moving westward together and they're connecting with churches of various regions and if we were to connect the dots along the way of all these different cities, what we're seeing is that he's going straight through Asia. He's going straight through. However, it says what here? It says that the, the, the Holy Spirit forbid them to go into Asia and to proclaim the message of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit forbid them. And so what he does is, if you look at a map, he was going to go this way, but he goes up and around, and he goes to Mysia, and then adjacent to Mysia is Bithynia, and so he says that he attempts to go into Bithynia now, which is adjacent. Let's just hit this place up too while we're here. And then it says that the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there either. And so what they end up doing is they go down to, to Troas. Now listen, I want to be very careful not to read into the text too much. That's kind of a danger that a lot of people will do with scriptures. They'll kind of read into it and make it say uh, some things that they want it to say. Uh, I don't want to make, make any kind of false assumptions of what that looks like to be forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go somewhere or for the Spirit of Jesus not to allow you uh, to, to do something or go somewhere. However, here's what we know. We know that Paul is led by the Spirit of God and what he's doing. What that looks like, if Jesus said, no, you just got in front of him and stopped him like he did on the road, or, you know, if a tree fell across the, the Roman road. We don't know what happened, but we know that he was sensitive to the Spirit of God. Now, did he make plans? Did the Apostle Paul make plans? Did he have plans? Absolutely he had plans. And we need to have plans. Plans are, are, a, are a good thing. That's what God would want you to do is to, to plan. You read through the Proverbs. There's all kinds of stuff about being shrewd and prudent and, and, and planning and getting counsel as to how to plan. Be responsible and, and plan. But here's the deal. When God calls you elsewhere, you've got to listen. And, and you've got to go. Now here's the... Here's the problem for many of us today. We've got plans, don't we? We should. We've got plans for our life. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what it's going to, to look like. This is my career path. This is my family plan. Uh, this is uh, what my ministry is going to be. This is how I'm going to live on the mission of, of Jesus. But a lot of times we're not listening for, looking for, 
the leading of God and all of that. You're saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And maybe it's because deep down inside, we think our plans are better than God's plans. Maybe it's because we don't want to do what God might tell us to do, or we don't want to go where God might tell us to go because his plans might not jive with the plans that we made, even if our plans have the proclamation of Jesus in them. And so we have a tight grip on our plans, and God says, no plan, but plan with a loose hand. Be, be careful here. Paul is, however, looking to be led by the Spirit of God. He's saying, I, I want to be led by the Spirit of God, who, scriptures will tell us, resides in every Christian. He's no longer confined to the Holy of Holies. The veil was torn, and he now takes residency inside of us. Are you looking uh, then to be led by the Holy Spirit? He's inside of you. He wants, to, he wants to, to lead you. Trust me, you want to be led by the, the Spirit of God. Here's the thing. Paul's going to see God do some amazing things in the next chapter, this chapter here. But he wouldn't have seen it had he gone to Asia, had he gone to Bithynia. He was led by the Spirit, though, and he didn't. And he sees God do some amazing things. My family, as many of you know, had had built a house in central Massachusetts on 1.8 acres of land. Kids loved it. See a bear every now and again on the backside of a ski mountain. I'm a snowboarder. It was perfect. We we, We loved it there. Our plan was to to die there. It was one of the fastest uh, growing churches in New England. We thought we were going to be there for a very, 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 very long time. But we wanted to be really cautious, to be sensitive to what God was doing. And we were looking and asking and praying, God, what do you have? And God said, oh, I have a different plan. So not long after building the house, he calls us to go to Boston. And listen, I don't regret it. I would have missed out on all the cool things that God's doing had I said, no, 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 I just built a house. This is security. This is a great plan, God. Doesn't, don't you see it? But if I was stubborn in my plans, I would have missed out. And I'm glad that we were listening to what God had for us. What if, what if God started tugging on your heart this next week, the next month, this, this up-and-coming school year here? What if God started to tell you to do something that is really uncomfortable for you? Or he started to ask you to, to do something that was really challenging for you. Would, would you hear? Let me ask yourself, do you just kind of look ahead? Do you think you would actually hear what he was saying? Or are you just so set, so firm, so tightly gripped on this is where I'm going right now that you wouldn't hear? What if, despite your plans for your family, what if God called you to adopt? Is that an option? Oh, no, 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 we can't do that. What if God called you to an unreached people group? Oh, no, no, no. Paid a lot of money for this degree, God. What if God called you to a career change? Oh, no. I'm very secure. My 401k is looking good. What if God called you to make a financial adjustment? Oh, oh no. Would you hear? Are you looking and listening and ready for whatever it is that God tells you to do? Paul's looking so that he had a plan, but as soon as God said, "Uh uh-uh, he said, okay, we're going to go this way instead. He makes a change of of course because he's looking. This isn't, this isn't, you know, metal detector Christianity. You know what I'm talking about? Like the goobers on the beach, you know, with their metal detector. And they're walking all over. 
You know what I'm talking about? Guys, it's funny. I love that. Sorry if that's you. This isn't like, Holy Spirit, oh, okay, take a right turn here. No, listen, it's, you're frequently asking God, God, I want to do whatever you want me to do. You're frequently laying before God, here's my plans. And you're, you're, you're waiting on him to make it clear. And you're, you're putting a, a marker here where you're saying, God, okay, here's a moment where you can tell me, no. I'm about to make this decision. We're about to go this way. I'm delighting in you, and I feel like this maybe is what you want me to do. But if not, right now, do you ask God those things? Or you just say, this is my plan, God. Breathe on it. Bless it. Give me some money. Let's go. We need to ask God. We need to ask God rather than always just saying, God, here's what we're doing. Bless it. Now, let me be, let me be very, very clear what this is not. This is not, God, I won't do anything until you tell me to. That's not what we're talking about. I won't do anything until you tell me to. No, Paul was on the move, wasn't he? He was moving. And then God said, well, nope, left. Go around. He's living the, the mission. And then God updated his plan. So this isn't, God, I won't tell my neighbor about Jesus until you tell me to tell my neighbor about Jesus. No, he's told you, tell your neighbor about Jesus right here. It's, it's, it's already there. You'd be on the move. You'd be living on the mission and simultaneously looking at the Lord and saying, God, show me where to go. You're my compass. You're my guide. I want to I follow you. And so Paul is doing that, and he ends up in Troas. And in Troas, God gives him a, a, a vision in the middle of the night, vision of a man. Somehow it was a, it was a picture of a man who's urging him, waving, come on. Come on over here to Macedonia. Help me. That's a big statement. Help me. Help us. He knew it was from God. And so what does Paul do? He looks back down. He says, immediately, he and the team prepare to go. It wasn't, okay, that's a great thought, God. Let me see if it jives with my plans. Whoa, that's what you told me to do? That's what we're going to do. We obey. Have you ever felt God's prompting in your life? Look back to your life. Have you ever been to a place where you say, that was, God was telling me. He was moving in me. Might not have been an audible voice, but that was very clear. That was God. Now let me ask you this. Have you ever resisted God's prompting after having felt it? I have. Ever done that? Here's the danger. If you don't respond immediately and you resist, you suppress, you give yourself time to talk yourself out of things that God's telling you to do. I was watching this uh, show. My boys and I have gotten into, gotten into watching this show, Get Out Alive with Bear Grylls. And I remember they were getting ready to jump out of a helicopter. And he kept saying, don't resist. Don't resist. If you overthink this, you're not going to do it. Jump. <laughs> and God prompts you to go. You be ready. You're saying, you're, I'm ready to be obedient. You tell me? Yes, we go. Paul goes immediately. Let's, let's live led by the Holy Spirit be that kind of people. No telling what kind of mess God's going to get us in. A good kind of mess. You're going to see what happens throughout the rest of this chapter. It's crazy stuff, but it leads to some amazing stuff. And I'm just praying that this year we'll see some God-sized things because we are living led by the Spirit and not by our own agenda. Here's our next mission must, and our last one for today, and that is this. Gospel preaching gospel preaching. Look down at verse 10. What did they conclude that God had called them to do? 
to mentor teenagers, to feed the homeless, to care for orphans, to engage in disaster relief. No. It says, concluding that God called us to preach the gospel. God's called us to preach the gospel. So we must do all of these things that I just mentioned. God's called us to do these things in the scripture. But if we do all of that to the neglect of preaching the gospel, the message of the hope of of Jesus, then we have failed to address the most serious, most important, weighty issue, and that is the eternal condition of the soul. He says, we're going to go there. They're going to bless people. They're going to serve people. They're going to care for widows and orphans. And the church of Philippi was a beautifully healthy church that did these things. However, the ultimate end is we're preaching the gospel. We've got to do both. We've got to provide and we've got to proclaim. And many Christians simply proclaim. You've seen that? They just beat, 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 beat with the gospel. And people don't really believe it because they don't see how it's affected their life where they care for people and love people and serve people. So on the flip side, what a lot of people do is we need to serve and we need to care and we need to help and we need to engage in social justice, which we do because it's in the scriptures. But they do so to the failure of, of sharing the gospel. You've got to be like Jesus and engage in both. You've got to provide and you've got to proclaim. Jesus addressed the, the physical needs, but he also addressed the, the weighty spiritual need. And listen, let me just go ahead and tell you a danger here for our church. For our church that's really, really engaged in the community, the danger is that we can easily hide behind social things. We can easily hide behind engaging the community, serving the community, loving the community. Has it been a year of relationship building for you with people in your life? but no gospel conversation might mean that you're hiding behind being a good neighbor. Has it been a year of community engagement but no gospel conversation? You might be hiding behind seek the welfare of the city. See how we can kind of prop the scriptures up and and hide behind good things in scripture to not do the ultimate thing is proclaim the, the gospel of Jesus. Paul was certain we have been called, God has called us to preach the gospel to them. Ultimately, the best neighbor is the neighbor who shares Jesus, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it risks rejection. Ultimately, the welfare of the city looks like a city who hears and has the opportunity to respond to the message of Jesus. We've got to preach the gospel to them. That is our mission. God has called us to preach the gospel. Both. It's both. And we're going to see throughout the remainder of this chapter, we're going to see power. We're going to see lives change. We're going to see families change. We're going to see a, a city moved by the Lord. And a healthy church, the most healthy church in the Bible, is born as we move forward, but it all stems from this season of preparation and getting ready. Listen, God is, is moving in Boston. I'm, I'm really certain of that. And I'm not just saying just us. I mean, God is moving all over the city. It's absolutely amazing of what he's doing. And God wants to use you in this work as well. 
He wants you to be a gospel proclaimer. He wants you to be uh, a disciple maker. He wants you to be one who's led by the Spirit so that he opens up these opportunities that you just never thought you would have. He's doing a a great work. He's got even more in in store. Maybe even today, God is starting to stir you a little bit to say, man, I really want to engage in this mission. I really want to be on this mission. Here's, Here's the warning. Do not suppress and miss out but be sensitive to him. Respond immediately. Say, yes, God, I will respond. I will, I will follow you. I will be on your mission. I want to enter the season in obedience. I want to be a disciple maker, a gospel proclaimer. I want to do this, Lord. Declare that to him in this time. And so here's what I want to do as we close. I want to partake of communion together. We do this on the first Sunday of every month. And here's how I want to I want to kind of view our time of communion right now. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says that when we're doing this, we're remembering Jesus and we're proclaiming him until he comes. And so what I want to do is as we partake of communion, Christians, I I would love for this to be a time for us to really put in front of us, set in front of us a table of, of the picture of the gospel so that we can sit in just how incredible the news is and that we can be reminded that, that the world needs to hear this and that we need to proclaim this message that we turn from God, sin, the result of our sin is death, and that God in his great love and his great goodness became one of us, dwelt among us, lived perfectly, but died the death of a sinner on the cross as our substitution and rose victoriously so that if we trust in what he has done, his work, not our work, what he has done, not what we have earned, we trust in that we might be saved and restored to right relationship with God. It's amazing news. It's amazing news. And we want to put that in front of us to remind ourselves of that great news that God has done for us what we can't do for ourselves. And that message that we want to proclaim to those who are lost as we seek and save them that Jesus is good and great and has died for them. And so we're going to partake of communion Christians and put that message in front of us. Communion is for those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus, who are at a place where they're, they're dealing with their sins, they're moving forward in their walk, and they're remembering Jesus, and they're proclaiming Jesus. And so if you're a Christian, I want to invite you to do that and put that message in front of you. If you're not a Christian, here's the thing. Maybe today you can partake of communion for the first time, because in this moment you're saying, I see that. Loud and clear, I need Jesus. I want to trust in Jesus today. I want to become a Christian. I want to place my faith in the fact that he died on the cross for me. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of my sin. And I'm trusting in that. And you can today come up and partake of communion for the first time as your way of saying, today I'm following Jesus. Listen, these elements do nothing mystical for you. By eating them, it doesn't make you a Christian. It's what happens in your heart by saying yes to the message of communion, that Jesus died for you. So maybe today you want to partake of communion for the first time. I'd love to encourage you to do that. If you will, in this moment, say, yes, Jesus, I'm turning from sin, I'm turning to you, I want to follow you all the days of my life. It's a great, great thing to do today, and I'd love to encourage you to tell somebody at the end of the gathering and let somebody know that I'm following Jesus today. But let me pray for us. Pray for this mission that God has for us, and uh, pray over the elements and we'll sing and partake. Father, thank you for the gathering that we've had so far today. Father, thank you for 
your goodness that you came to earth and you did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. You died. And if we would trust in you, though we die, yet we will live. God, I pray for Christians in the room. This would remind us of Jesus and his amazing work on the cross. But it also would remind us of how great this news is and that we need to give it to the world. God, if there's anyone today who has yet to trust in Jesus, I pray that in this moment you're going to prompt their heart that they would see their need for you. And that in the best way that they know how, they call out to you and the scriptures say that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And they cry out to you and say, yes, God, I want Jesus. I trust in that. I'm turning from sin. I'm turning to you. And I intend to follow you all the days of my life. That they would partake of communion for the first time today. God, be glorified as we set our attention and our affection on you. Make us a people who are increasingly focused on the mission. Our lives can be focused on so many other things. We're so easily distracted. God, help us to be focused on what you want us to be focused on. That is proclaiming this great message to the world. Love you, Lord. Jesus' name. Amen.